welcome to the next episode of the Radio Data Podcast. Today, our guest is Ola Sars, uh, who lives in Stockholm in Sweden. Ola is a successful music tech entrepreneur, and he's the founder, CEO, and chairman of Soundtrack Your Brand. Ola, it's my pleasure to have you in my show. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me. Uh, likewise, we will be talking about data and AI, and I'm really happy to hear your perspective on such topics as a CEO of a fast-growing company. However, as always, let's start with the introduction. So could you please tell us more about yourself and your company? Sure. Uh, I'm a um, serial entrepreneur within music tech and audio tech. So I've uh, this is my fifth startup within the space the last uh, almost 15 years now i've been doing the same thing more or less uh, building companies within uh, the audio and music streaming markets uh, soundtrack your brand is nothing more complicated than a, a business grade service for music streaming so basically uh, we're the world's first music streaming platform for usage of music in your business so if you're running a cafe a restaurant or a retail big or small um, global or local um, around 95% of businesses use music to improve the customer experience when when uh, people walk into their businesses and we're the first kind of really intelligent music streaming platform to help them play the right music at the right place at the right time to provide that customer experience. So what is the value uh, that your product gives to the businesses that you have mentioned? We give them a sophisticated, um, basically B2B SaaS software stack for managing uh, music into a very complex use case where if you're running, for example, 10 juice bars or 100 juice bars or 1,000 juice bars worldwide, um, you have this sophisticated requirement of being able to play the right music in Stockholm today. Uh, that music might be different in Munich uh, or in uh, New York, uh, but it needs to be on brand. It needs to be the right tempo, depending on what day and what hour and what type of experience you're trying to deliver you need to avoid playing maybe explicit lyrics or music that's offensive for, for your customers. Uh, you need to be fully licensed for usage of a music in the commercial uh, domain, which obviously uh, our consumer services like Apple, Amazon, Spotify are not. So we are, we are solving this pain point uh, of um, a simple frictionless delivery platform for music in business, saving the business owner or the music manager at a bigger business time, anxiety and money. So let's assume that I have a restaurant and I will start using Soundtrack Your Brand. And what can I expect from your product in terms of, uh, for example, customer satisfaction or my own revenue or maybe something else? Yeah, so very kind of different levels of sophistication depending on the buyer. If you take it all the way to what research stipulates, and we do a lot of research both with, with in the field and together with academics, but um, as one big field experiment that we did that kind of underlines the whole thing about music in business is 
we helped one of the world's biggest um, fast food chains uh, increase sales by 9% statistically secure uh, by playing the right music at the right place at the right time on brand, meaning that the guests would stay for a dessert or they would, um, they, they would buy more uh, product because they felt better when they were in the, in the actual restaurant. So music is played for a reason since almost, you know, the 1920s and 1930s when they started using music in kind of commercial context. But the science is fairly sophisticated where you can really see the different types of effects on consumer behavior, but also on consumer perception. As an example, you can use certain types of uh, music or BPMs, beats per minute, in order to, for example, get people to perceive time differently. So if you're in line, you can you can kind of affect the perception of time that it doesn't feel that you're staying in line too long and so forth. There's multiple use cases to use audio to to drive consumer perception and behavior. And could you please give us an example of such a research uh, that was conducted to, to measure how the sales number uh, can increase if you play the right music in a restaurant, bar, gym, or some other place? I can, I can go back to the one, one of many field experiments, obviously, when, when we use the same example of this fast food chain. We, we were running sales data in parallel to different types of applications of the, um, the soundtrack of that, of that brand. So comparing, um, for example, uh, restaurants with no music, uh, with restaurants with uh, music from just you know, popular music, not on brand according to our method, and then restaurants applying our method, the soundtrack of that brand, meaning that um, we help them deliver exactly the, the right type of music for the brand that we have developed through to our uh, proprietary method, and then the right music at the right time. And, and the delta between um, actually playing no music and playing our music was uh, 5%. The delta between playing the wrong music, just popular top 100 hits, was actually worse than playing no music. Mm -hmm. And then the delta between that was 9%. So um, this was applied through a statistical uh, model called the Latin square method, where you basically, for, 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 for data people, you could, you could think about it as an ABC test in uh, the real world environment. Mm-hmm. And is this research published uh, somewhere or is it like... Yes, we, we've, we've done, it's published academically, this one, uh, this specific one, and you can find a lot of research on our webpage at soundtrack.app. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I recommend to our listeners to check the website and see more details. And you already mentioned the, the word data. How important is data in your company? It's, uh, you know, it's uh, absolutely critical, uh, like in all companies, I would say it's, uh, you can't run a company without data. If, I mean, the first um, kind of challenge as an entrepreneur when building a company is obviously creating the, the, uh, the platform for uh, high quality data, right? Because uh, taking those investments early always pays off down the line, right? 
So I would say data is in everything we do, in every meeting, in every instance we operate, we, we use data in, uh, as a starting point. Um, humans are great uh, in, in conjunction to data. Data, I see data as the what, and I see humans get involved in the how when we run a business. And do you also implement some data-driven use cases that are shipped to the end consumers of your product? Absolutely. In the most basic terms, we... I mean, <clears throat> the funny thing about data and also when we move into machine learning and artificial intelligence is <clears throat> actually the music industry or specifically within music uh, distribution, we've always had data and data-driven products as our core, right? So we've been using artificial intelligence and music intelligence from day one in order to uh, enable, uh, you know, a functioning product when you're supplying, you know, 100 million tracks, uh, music songs. It's impossible to provide a product without having a filtering function or some type of kind of recommendation engine driving it. So I think the music industry and specifically the music service providers in the market have been pioneers in using data and machine learning and AI in kind of the core product for more than 10 years now. So answering your question, uh, I'm trained in this industry and I grew up in this industry and hence uh, this industry is actually very data driven. I assume that you need to track every single song played by your customers so that, for instance, artists and right holders are properly remunerated. Yeah, I mean, that's just a core. That's a requirement. I mean, building a music streaming service um, requires a huge investment in the actual infrastructure piece first, which is the music backend, if you may. Um, people always tend to underestimate how complex it is in you know building a music distribution platform but there's a reason why spotify is still the global leader is that they actually took all of those big investments early and they understood how complex it is on the consumer side we we update millions of metadata points every week in order to identify who owns the ip in our ongoing you know 100 million song database then when that song is consumed or used by a business somewhere in one of the 75 markets where we play, then we have to apply um, the reporting of that specific track to that specific publisher and that specific label who owns the rights for that track, specifically in that market, uh, to their commercial uh, contract with us, and then report and uh, redistribute royalties collected according to commercial agreements. So it's a very sophisticated, complex underlying infrastructure uh, motion that's constantly ongoing in and when running a music streaming service. And it changes all and it changes all the time. So without that investment initially, you you cannot operate a uh, digital service provider in this market. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So based on this data, you can of course do also music classification, music recommendation, any yeah, other but, and, insights and, and, and tips and, for uh, yeah, your that's customers? Not, that's not that data. That's completely different data sets. 
So um, different use cases. So there's one data job to be done when it comes to just being able to source and distribute and remunerate based on you know the complex world of music rights. That's a huge build in itself. Then on top of that, you need to build intelligence in order to provide a easy to use service to the end consumer. In my case, a business or a brand and for Spotify, a consumer. Uh, and in order to do so, you need to add another layer of, of data, meaning kind of classification data. And classification data, music, meaning descriptions of what music is, genre, uh, energy, and things like that. The metadata sets that come from the industry are not harmonized, and I would almost call them useless. So what you need to do is you need to take the 100 million tracks and you need to have machines analyze them and classify them yourselves for the highest quality kind of classification, filtering, and, and then recommendation. So we have a whole uh, proprietary music intelligence platform and machine learning platform that constantly analyzes our music catalog based on how brands think about music and then recommend based on that. So. So then you need to build a product on top of that that kind of helps the brand find that music and play the right music. Mm -hmm. And are there differences between music usage for businesses and individuals? Oh, it's, it's night and day. It's, it's a completely different use case. For an individual, it's all about whatever you feel like listening today. It can be, you know, you can listen one track hard rock and one track techno and in you can have hip hop with explicit lyrics and you can play one track a hundred times when you're moving into a social commercial context, it's much more closer to actually broadcasting and packaging. Once again, a professional, well-calculated uh, augmentation of the customer experience of the brand, um, which needs to be harmonized. It needs to meet the customer and where they are if they're having lunch or having drinks after work it's a completely different application what we built is a very sophisticated content management system for brands on top of 100 million um, song catalog so that they can so that they can kind of apply the business to business use case to music distribution yeah, yeah, I imagine. So, for instance, you cannot play the same Eurovision song over and over in restaurant, but individual users can do that very often. Yeah, it's in your headphones, and when it's outside your headphones, all of a sudden you're exposed to to mm -hmm. a public domain. And depending on that public domain, it, it, you know, uh, brands take this very seriously. I mean, they invest. Imagine, you know, Dior or Gucci, or like playing three Eurovision songs on too high volume and then a hip hop track in there. It just would never happen. It's extremely well thought through. So the brand interplays with everything in the retail experience over time to drive the desired behavior of the consumer and the, the, the desired experience of the brand. Uh, yes, thank you for this answer. And let's now switch a topic a little bit. Uh, because when I went through your recent posts on LinkedIn, you have been recently very vocal about your road to profitability and your capital efficiency. And can you briefly summarize where are you now? 
Sure. Uh, we are still a very small company. We are uh, we launched Soundtrack 2018 and um, we rolled out 75 markets during 18 and 19. And then uh, obviously 2020, 21 were completely destroyed by the pandemic. Our, our customers are restaurants, cafes, hotels, bars and, and retail. And obviously the whole world shut down for us for two years almost. Now we're back uh, on track and we're, we've come out of you know the second half of 2022, uh, 2021 and then into 2022. We have 18 months of like, uh, very, very kind of normal operating background. Um, and this path we've taken is really building uh, an extremely scalable operation, a global leading B2B music distribution platform with less than 100 people. So given our ambition to build hyper-effective organization empowered by AI, by software and artificial artificial intelligence in its core um, we want to build profitability just as important as growth and i think we were before the market and seeing that we think that profitability is is really what you know you're investing in growth is important in combination with profitability but growth without profitability is meaningless so we, we've been very focused on combining uh, profitability, capital efficiency, and growth and the right kind of mix between the three for almost, you know, since coming out of COVID. Um, and uh, I think we're starting to see where the balance lies in our business specifically, where we think we can, we can grow at around 30 to 50% on an organic basis, on annual basis. Uh, but with operating at around the 10 to 20% EBITDA margin with high capital efficiency on all KPIs. I think that's really unique position that proves that you have a scalable growth uh, business. Uh, it's easy to grow if you can spend uh, unlimited amounts of money, uh, right? And that's kind of where the market got lost the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And does uh, data or AI help you in your efforts to become a profitable company? Yes, in every aspect. Uh, in every aspect. I mean, we. it really is. If you have your, um, for B2B SaaS, it's very specific what KPA, KPIs you track and kind of how you, how you measure capital efficiency. And capital efficiency is about a couple of things uh, and those are completely data-driven. You need to know what your customer value looks like. So you need to be able to predict and understand how much is a customer worth um, over time. So for us, it's maybe it's an entrepreneur that comes in with one restaurant and all of a sudden, uh, two years later, he has 10 restaurants on his account. Right, so there's the, there's an incremental growth in the account that you don't see in the consumer industry, and then you have obviously pricing and retention to drive kind of the 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 customer value. So you need to really, really, really understand the current and the future customer value development. That's core, and then you need to be equally uh, data driven and apply equal requirements on precision in. Uh, your your sales and marketing investments, meaning what it costs to acquire those customers that are valued X. So uh, 
being um, professionally uh, correct around the estimates of your customer acquisition cost and your your customer value is core for any type of business, consumer or or B two B. And in order to be so, you need to be extremely disciplined around your data, because mm-hmm. uh, otherwise, it's just like if you don't know what you're doing in this, then your your company can can be completely off. Yeah, absolutely. So you need to use data and AI to understand how much it costs to actually uh, bring a customer to your product. What is the customer lifetime value, and also what is the effort to actually make sure that the con- uh, the customer is still using your product over the long uh, long period yes and it's it's simplified by um customer acquisition costs the cost of mm-hmm. acquiring that customer versus the lifetime value the ltv so the cac ltv ratio um meaning the ltv to cac needs to be bigger than three i would say is a requirement so you need to do be doing 3x return on customers that's kind of the magic number you can overinvest during certain periods of time and compromise on that but that's really what the market at least requires both in consumer and b2b businesses so so that's core and then there's a bunch of other metrics in b2b that we follow like on a very rigorous level all the time and talk about constantly in the management team what can we do to improve because really when you improve capital efficiency you improve your business Yes, and uh, given the fact that this year is very tough uh, because the cost of capital is much higher, there is rising inflation that increases costs basically of everything, plus there is economic slowdown or maybe even a recession in some countries. So given all this, uh, do you um, you plan to invest in data and AI solutions to achieve profitability this or next year? We have been investing aggressively in, in data and artificial intelligence since day one, and we're already reaping the rewards. Uh, and I'm not saying that to just, you know, uh, tell you how great we are. It's, it's really a part of how we build businesses in the, in the music industry. It's, we look to machines to help us with scale human behavior. We've done so mm-hmm. for a long while. And that's really what, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence is about, right? replicating and scaling um, jobs uh, that humans could do, but you do it through data processing instead. So we've done so from the beginning, meaning that today we're able to operate uh, a small team of 80 employees uh, in a global market. We're live in 75 markets and we're operating at around, uh, you know, $280,000 per employee uh, per year um which is almost three times more than the average SaaS company uh i'm not comparing myself to consumer services like spotify because they've been doing this since day one as well so i think if you do the math for spotify it will be much better than us because they are completely scalable through the platform and we're applying the same thinking i think we can operate a company you know almost 2x the type of kind of ARR per FTE, which is the metric mm-hmm. is called the, the annual recurring revenue per full-time employee. We can probably move that up to 500,000 to maybe even a million dollars moving forward. Mm-hmm. I don't see 
any reason to grow with 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 like human labor if you can grow uh, through automation. Yeah, it's really impressive how much you have achieved with a team of 80 employees. Where often startups, even if they are not uh, profitable, they grow in terms of employees very fast. And very often you can notice that they hire 500 or 1,000 people. And they brag about it and say that we grew last year with 80%. And I ask, in what? Mm -hmm. And they say, in team. And I was like, why? Uh, I, I mean, really, it's, I, I don't know where this, um, where this has come from uh, or, or where we got stuck. If it's the HR people that have taken, you know, some type of pride in growing with team and got the management team with it doesn't make any sense at all. And it's in a, in a world where, where we have software because software is built to automate human behavior uh, and, you know, augment human productivity. So I just don't understand. I've never understood it. I will never understand it. And I think the time has kind of caught up to the, the growth per FTE as some type of indicator of success. It's, you know, revenue per FTE. That's really the success driver and, and the productivity and capital efficiency. And that obviously combined with growth. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. What do you think about generative AI about using that in your product or maybe in the music industry, especially B2B, because this is where you are. I, I think it's a very natural progression. Uh, it's nothing, you know, it's nothing strange at all. It's, I mean, uh, we're, we've almost been using it for a long while through generating actual playlists. You could almost call that generative AI because we're matching this track with this track to meet a certain type of kind of filtering requirement and harmonization of a playlist over time, a creation, if you may, of a creative produce. So we've been doing it for a long while. Um, you, we've been using it in our marketing functions and, and, you know, blog productions and stuff like that for a while. And it's nothing rocket science about that. It's, it's an amazing evolution for sure, that can be used in different types of kind of business use cases. Uh, in the music industry, there's this huge uh, rumble now around actual music production by machines, uh, which is, I would say, just the natural development of, of kind of what we've seen for a long while. Um, music producers have been using uh, artificial intelligence to help them produce things for a long time while now and this is just taking the step to actually letting a machine produce the whole um the whole track i don't think it's gonna uh, you know uh be you know substitute the uh, the music creators of the world and the, the beautiful art that's being produced i mean it's already i don't know i don't know the latest number but uh, like there's a hundred million tracks a uh, hundred thousand tracks being published every day or something like that uh, and, you know, it, it's just growing because anyone can produce music and the, the level of quality can be, you know, <laughs> high and low. And now you're all adding machines to the whole thing. But still, there's a, still a human who needs to press the button to kind of produce it. And it's just a question of level of human, inter, you know, interaction in the actual production. So um, 
I think it's an interesting uh, new debate that's that's showing up, but I, I don't think it's going to have a significant impact on kind of the streaming markets and the consumption of music moving forward. And for instance, in your opinion, is it possible that AI might be responsible for different frauds or plagiarism in the music industry? So for instance, imagine that someone uses AI Uh, and the voice of Ed Sheeran and creates a song that gets viral. And could it be any consequences of that? I think it's very problematic if it's IP infringement. Mm-hmm. And we have regular regulatory frameworks for IP infringement that also apply to if it's a human or if it's a machine who's actually fraudulent. So there's no difference. Like we're machines, they're machines, uh, Uh, they can scale faster, but it's still, you know, um, it's just the volume that increases, of course. And But we can control that. We can use machines to to control the volume as well. Like we can meet mm-hmm. machines with machines. Um, so, no, you cannot steal uh, IP or creative assets and, 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 you know, just like you can't do it mm-hmm. um, as a bootleg. Uh, when when producing music back in the days, um, it will be challenging for sure. I mean, there's about a couple of examples with that Drake track and Weekend track that was out and that was produced, with, but that's more like hype. I think mm-hmm. people are going to hear a couple of those tracks like three, four times and it's going to spread like crazy. And it's like, oh, look, it's so cool. But then at the end of the day, my kids are still going to go back to kind of listening to, you know, really really good creative arts that are produced by humans uh, in the long term so it still means that there will be needed some tools actually to detect if a given song uh, was created by humans or ai or whether it's a fraud or some stolen ap in a given song those technologies already exist it's not about seeing if it's a machine or not that that could probably i'm not up to speed on actually the identification of those kind of patterns but but for sure they could do that but they're already kind of looking for bootlegs and they're already looking for uh, as an example uh, covers that are not covers i mean uh, the dsps have been doing this for a long while now trying to find you know, uh, fraudulent content on their platforms, trying to steal um, s- steal uh, royalties from the actual artist. It's not just a machine problem. It's a general kind of music distribution challenge. Yeah, that's true. Uh, can you share any information about interesting future trends in your industry? How the music B2B, B2B industry might look like in three, four, maybe five years? Yeah, I think my idea with this has never been to digitize the background music market only. I think that's only the beginning. First, you need to build a really good product uh, that helps the actual user, the restaurant owner to uh, do something faster, more efficiently uh, and better uh, than previously. And that's the first instance. That's where we are right now. So right now for us, it's distribution and penetration of the market. But the interesting thing about this, I believe, is what I saw is that the B2B market is incremental, meaning it's an additional opportunity on top of the consumer market for the music industry. And it's it's an incremental opportunity based on two things. Um, one is it's a new way of 
extracting royalties uh, for artists, uh, for music creators in, in businesses. It's completely dysfunctional today. Nobody knows what's being used to play and, and nobody knows where the money is going. I'm fixing that. And I'm actually charging more than $30 on average per subscription, which is six times more than the consumer markets, which are at $5 on a global average revenue per subscription. So we are adding value to the cake. We are increasing the size of the cake uh, of music royalties. That's good news. Uh, it might not be uh, close to how big the consumer market is, but it could be meaningful. It could be another 10, 20% that nobody knew was there. And then secondarily, we're also creating an incremental additional opportunity in terms of marketing music. Because in our customer stores, whatever it is, a cafe, restaurant, or a retailer, or a gym, or any, there's on average around 400 people who walk in and out every day. Um, there's a music discovery opportunity in the real world as well, outside your headphones. I mean, how many times haven't you found a great track when you're in a bar with friends or at a club or actually in a juice bar or a, or a cafe? So we are also increasing the marketing platform for music into the physical world and adding the real-time data trackability to that. So if you combine those two kind of marketing and value, um, there's a huge opportunity of growing this. There's around 100 million commercial doors in the total addressable market for B2B. That's roughly a $40 billion opportunity. So we could, we could create an, an additional revenue stream for the music industry. We can create an additional marketing platform for the music industry. We can combine those two in a way where if we build a really, really good product, we can help those businesses sell more juice, sell more coffee, sell more whatever they're selling with this great music and software platform, which means that we can extract even more value over time. And then you can start engaging with consumers as well out there. For example, you know, choosing tracks in a, in a restaurant, uh, voting for tracks, uh, interacting with the music in different ways. Um, that creates this interplay between the brand, the consumer, and the music industry, which is what everyone is looking for in different types of creative use cases. So, But in order to do so, you first have to distribute the real-time platform out into the physical world. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm basically providing you know, nodes out there um, that we then can kind of come up with creative ways of, of, of working with. Yeah, absolutely. So what you say is very interesting because given the fact that a lot of people work remotely, uh, spend a lot of time uh, in front of the screen, then staying a bit longer in the restaurant and talking to someone, eating uh, a cake is really good, for, I think, for, for humans. And you also mentioned that you increase the revenue for the music industry. And I have one question, because when you listen to artists, sometimes they complain about the money that they get from Spotify, especially the less known artists, because the, the most popular artists, I think that they, uh, they get quite large revenue thanks to Spotify, also record labels, they benefit, but local artists who, who are not that well known in the music industry, I think that they, they get very low 
revenue from music streaming up. And does it happen that in B2B industry, some artists are extremely popular in B2B sector and not that much popular in the consumer market so that they greatly benefit from from the service that you're providing to B2B music Yeah, industry. I mean, I, I think, uh, first of all, everyone, and th this is, you know, this is kind of like a broken record, but everyone needs to understand that what's happened the last 10 years is uh, the music market was almost dead, like mm -hmm. it, it, through file sharing. Um, Spotify, I would almost give them like, almost a whole kind of benefit of actually saving the music industry. Um, they created an, an opportunity to actually start monetizing with a better product in Brooklyn. So they've turned that negative trend around. They also added full transparency to the market, um, which means that you can't hide anymore. It's about what, if people listen to your music, you're going to be compensated according to the model. So, But what also happened was that the whole industry was digitizing in terms of production, distribution, and consumption, right? So uh, all of a sudden, the number of, of artists or music creators publishing and distributing music has exponentially increased. So even though the cake was, the total cake was almost disappearing, and then Spotify turned around, and now it's you know, just 10 years in consecutive growth and it's never been more healthy in terms of revenue generated. Music industry is bigger than ever today for the record. Uh, it's just more people have to share. Mm -hmm. um, previously, those people weren't able to distribute their music. They couldn't publish because you needed to go through a record label, get a deal and print CDs or whatnot. Yeah. Now anyone can do it. You and I can release a track today and distribute it. Mm -hmm. So everyone has to understand that it's not a right to survive being musical. You have to earn it like in any other profession. You need to earn it by actually generating fans that listen to your music. And the distribution and the collection of royalties and redistribution royalties are completely transparent and fair. Uh, So yes, of course, Beyonce is going to be making more money than I am because I'm a crappy producer uh, and because she's got more fans and more people listening to and, and it's fairly distributed based on mm -hmm. what's being listened to. So I think it's a very uneducated dialogue mm -hmm. when around complaining, not getting reimbursed because the music industry is X. Uh, Y percent of X is being redistributed mm -hmm. to music creators. That's completely transparent. Like Spotify, Apple, everyone is completed and it's rich as well. It's 70% uh, that they're redistributing. And then who's being played, uh, whose music is being played um, within that 70, 72% or whatever it is mm -hmm. that's being redistributed is being redistributed according to what's being consumed. Yeah. So it's completely fair and transparent. Yeah, yeah. But but there's a lot of creators and uh, and uh, sharing that pie. Mm -hmm. I actually had been working at Spotify in the past, so I I understand this transparency, the revenue sharing model. So I totally agree with you. Maybe my uh, question would be uh, should be asked asked differently. If you compare top 100 artists 
on Spotify, how much it differs uh, from uh, top 100 artists at Soundtrack Your Brand and whether those differences are very large or still you will see uh, many similar artists in the top. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a different question. The, yeah. the, be the beauty is that B2B is different to than B2C mm -hmm. completely. Yes. Once again, the use case is you're, you're, you're very, very uh, proactively choosing a long-term experience, right? Mm -hmm. So for the brand and you're, you're programming the music with high detail and with a specific uh, objective of delivering a brand experience. So that means that the catalog consumption looks completely different. Uh, very interesting. Uh, as in, I, I could go on for this for a long time, but trying to oversimplify. Um, you know, um, frontline hits, catalog, you know, like Eurovision or whatnot, it doesn't, you know, boom in our system. It's a much more kind of long tail, well thought through yeah. soundscape that's delivered over time. So jazz, for example, has a much bigger position in our world or, or lounge music has a much bigger market share uh, than in kind of consumer consumption patterns, which anyone can figure out if you just think about it. Yes. So a very, very different use case and a very different uh, catalog consumption. So this is this is also interesting, and this makes which also provides another opportunity, right? Exactly, which provides opportunity for catalogs within those genres, within those sounds. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have the last final question. Uh, you have already answered partially, or maybe fully, to that question, but maybe it would be nice to repeat that or add some additional information. So, what are the key metrics, or maybe key dashboards, or maybe key AI models that you look at every day or every week as a CEO? Um, I mean, every day I look at. Um, obviously growth and intake so when I wake up in the morning I always get my you know sales report from yesterday uh, uh, automatically uh, and I look at uh, what new customers have come in and what markets and what they look like and how we've expanded existing customers customers that we've lost and why and so forth it's it's the daily cadence of of looking at your customer flows and the revenue implications of that that's like basic stuff every day and asking question around. And then uh, on, you know, on a weekly, uh, monthly reporting basis, it's, it's what we spoke about earlier. It's okay. How, how are we growing at what efficiency rates are we growing and how are we improving our profitability through that growth? Um, so I have, uh, one uh, tool that I use to look at kind of just uh, performance, which is our, our BI tool, which I have obviously my own uh, kind of my own dashboard that I follow all the time and analyze myself. Uh, and then we have financial reporting and financial numbers that are always just, you know, close, closing the books at the end of the month where we sit down the whole management team and work through the month in terms of, okay, what did we perform? What worked according to forecast? What didn't work according to forecast? What were the underlying drivers of our business performance, which is usually kind of usage-based KPIs, like free trials, free to paying conversions, expansion, pricing, and things like that. So 
uh, it's really no rocket science. It's just being very, very, you know, data focused and, and combining financial data with um, management uh, accounting data with usage-based data, right? So not getting stuck in either financials uh, data only. You have to connect the three layers of data. Um, because it all starts with the usage uh, pattern from a user. Uh, and that usage pattern goes through different types of financial um, implications. And then those financial implications lead to closing books for the month, right? And having those three kind of interconnect and understand how they affect each other. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. So this was my final question. Uh, Ola, I would like to thank you very much for this conversation and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to uh, contribute. Hope it helped someone to, to uh, see something new. If you are interested in getting notifications about future podcast episodes, please subscribe to Radio Data Podcast on Spotify, Apple or YouTube. If you are interested in being an expert guest in one of our episodes, please find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. My name is Adam Kava and I work at Getting Data, which is a data consultancy company. If you would like to learn more about our data, analytics, AI, ML and cloud projects and our services, please visit us at gettingdata.com.